it's a little past 7 p.m. on a Friday night, and that means you're listening to Women's Issues, Women's Voices here on KOP in Columbia, 89.5 FM. I'm your host tonight, Sarah Catlin, and with me is Nedra Tawab. She's the author of a book that's just come out called Set Boundaries, Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself. And we're going to have a really a wonderful discussion tonight about um, boundaries and why you need them if you don't have them and how to do it and what you're going to gain from that. Um, so thank you so much, Nedra, for being willing to spend an hour with us tonight. It's my pleasure to be here. So I am not an Instagram user, but apparently you're quite the famous. I do Facebook, which it sounds like you limit your Facebook. You're really big on Instagram. So people, I'm sure people listening probably know you. Um, some of my listeners have probably follow you or whatever it is that you do on Instagram. Follow. You want to talk a little bit about Instagram and how that blew up for you? Yeah. So I am a therapist. I've been a therapist for 14 years. And about four years ago, I really started to pay attention to what my clients were doing. And as they they were waiting, I saw them like scrolling, right? And of course, they're talking to me about Facebook and Twitter and all of these things. And, and I just thought like, wow, that would be a beautiful way to, to reach people. Maybe, maybe I should start using it. And I just started posting content. And over the years, I've sort of critiqued it a bit to the needs of the audience. And it really took off and it became really popular. I think there is room in a social media space for mental health professionals to share that professional piece about mental health, even self-care from a mental health perspective. It's such a needed concept and a needed voice on social media. So yeah, it, it became popular. And I just, you know, maybe two weeks ago, I stepped over 1 million. So I'm, wow, that's I know, I'm really excited. That's a lot of eyes. That is a lot of eyes and a lot of O's. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the first thing we should talk about is what are boundaries? Why do we need them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I bet you could do this in your sleep. So let me fall asleep and try. Let's yeah. see. No, but boundaries are expectations, parameters, rules, limitations that we set with ourselves and others that help us feel comfortable and safe in our lives and in our relationships. It seems to me, as I was reading in your book, everyone has boundaries. Mm-hmm. Maybe don't always state them, right? We all have expectations. I think it's human to have an expectation, but what you're advocating for is making those explicit and state if they're not already so that other people can meet your expectations because it's hard to meet someone's expectation if you don't know what that expectation is mm-hmm. a good yeah that's exactly it I think so often maybe we feel like we're imposing on people or we're being too much or we're um, requesting something that is like over the top by just saying can you please come to my party at such and such time because it's important that it starts on time. You know, it's like, I can't say that to people. I can't tell my boss I can't work on weekends. I can't tell my partner I don't want to cook every night. It's like all of these things that we don't want to do, we're frustrated with, we feel sad about, overwhelmed. That's what the boundary is. When people are confused about, like, I don't know what my boundary is in this situation. So often, it's what you hope this situation could be. So for example, whatever the 
the problem is, the solution is the boundary. So if you have a problem with something, what is the solution? When my stylist cuts my hair, she cuts it too short. Well, I hear a boundary in there. Please don't cut my hair so short. You know, like we, we know these things, but just saying it sometimes is the really hard thing that we we struggle with. And, you know, in your book, you've got this really lovely list that I uh, post-it noted, and I'm just going to run through it. This is the common responses when you set a boundary, a new boundary with someone. Here's what you've got listed as the common responses. People could push back. They could test your limits. They could ignore the boundary. They could rationalize and question. They can get defensive. They can ghost you. They can give you the silent treatment, or they could accept it. And you mentioned in your book that what a lot of times will keep someone from setting a boundary is fear of what the other person's going to do with that. Mm-hmm. And so you want to talk a little bit about fear and how fear holds people back? Yeah, we assume the worst. We certainly live in a culture where it's like, be safe. Don't do this. Don't do that. And it's don't set a boundary. Because if we if we set the boundary, there's this fear that we will ruin a relationship, we'll get fired. Um, something terrible will happen. And I can't say that that's not the case because sometimes that's true. Sometimes setting a boundary with certain people will end the relationship. Sometimes saying, hey, I'm not able to work on the weekends will make your boss a bit upset and, you know, put you in a position where they're like, oh, you know, we don't know about this person. But I think ultimately, for the most part, it doesn't do any of that. And most people can hear those boundaries and respect them. There are cases where that is not true. But most of the time, people respect our boundaries. And I know that because I respect so many boundaries that other people have. I think of all of the things, you know. I just left the nail salon, their boundary. When you come in, wash your hands, wear a mat. Like I'm respecting all of these boundaries. I'm not yelling at the people. I'm not upset and saying, I'll never get my nail. You know, it's like, I'm respecting the boundaries as laid out. So we do this all day, traffic lights, we stop. That is the boundary. You know, like there's so many things we're already respecting and other people are too. And so we have to allow people the opportunity to respect some of the things about us. I love how you stated that. And it's true. I hadn't even thought about this, but I mean, we've all just kind of hopefully lived through the the worst part of a pandemic. And there are so many different, more new boundaries. Yeah. Asking, hand-washing, staying, you know, six feet apart, uh, things you, you know, to keep people safe. Yeah, that's interesting. So if any time people would be used to uh, having some new boundaries, maybe now's the time to get home and thinking, this is is the moment. This is the moment. People are already accepting a whole bunch of new restrictions and boundaries boundaries and ways of being. It'd be a great time to start this practice if you've not really been doing it, I think. For sure. And I think you do hear of those stories every once in a while where someone has, you know, they've gone into lows and the person said, hey, can you put on the mask? And it's like, no, they started a fight. That is not the norm, right? What we know to be the norm is 99.9% of people adhere to whatever the policy is. Of course, there's going to be, you know, an outlier here or there. And it's the same way with us personally. 99.9% of the people will say, okay, Sarah, that, that makes sense for me. Or, okay, Sarah, I can do that for you. It's not going to be everyone pushing back, everyone stonewalling you or being mad at you after you set a boundary. Mm -hmm. 
this book is just filled with lovely, like little shorthand lists. So it makes it very quick and easy to just pick it up and flip to a page and like get a little personal coaching, which I love about it. Again, the book is set boundaries, find peace. On page 60, you've got these nine potential reasons why you can't sufficiently set a boundary. And this is sort of expanding. And this is, again, some of what's holding people back. You don't want to be mean. You don't want to seem rude. You're a people pleaser. Um, You're anxious about how interactions are going to go with this person in the future after you've set this new boundary. You feel like you're powerless no matter what you say. It's not going to change. The situation is not going to get better. You place a lot of value in helping others. And so you value that and you don't want to lose that feeling you get from being a helper. You project your feelings about being told no, that you don't like it. And so you don't want to make someone else feel like that. So you're projecting or assuming how they're going to feel. You have no clue where to start, which that's why you've written your book, right? Or you believe that certain types of relationships, like with your mother, right? Your boss can't have boundaries that, that, you know, and, and you you argue very succinctly and successfully in your book. I think that every relationship can have boundaries. There's not a relationship that a person listening is in that wouldn't maybe benefit from some healthy boundaries if they aren't already there. For sure. And I think with, I I heard you whisper mom there. Yeah. (laughs) I think with our parents in particular, we're so used to playing the child role that it is hard for us to transition into adult child and adult parent relationships. You know, it's like some of us in front of our parents were still 12. We're like, what should I do in my house, mom? It's like, we live in a Dow house. It's like, yeah. it's not even your house. It's, it's your parents' house when they come visit or it's, you know, it's your mom way when it's your birthday steal. And so I think we do have to set those boundaries because it is a healthy part of your relationship. It is a transition into a different type of relationship because even as children, we are growing more into ourselves. And so from you know, from one to two, we're becoming more of ourselves from two to 10, from 10 to, you know, 50, 40, like we're becoming more of ourselves. And we have to let our parents know uh, what we need and what we don't need anymore. Yeah. And you mentioned in your book that the ways that we learn to set boundaries or not set boundaries are surprise stem from often our family of origin and how that happened in our childhood and how we saw our parents and our siblings and those around adults around us managing boundaries or not managing boundaries. And so you can see how that might be fraught if, if your parents maybe didn't have good boundaries and then you've become an an adult and you want to have those boundaries, it can be pretty, um, seem pretty daunting. I could see that to be setting a boundary with a person that maybe didn't teach you how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but we can, you know, we learn in multiple ways. And I think just because we learned, we didn't learn to have healthy boundaries doesn't mean that we can't learn from the people around us who have healthy boundaries. I like to think in, in any relationship, we can learn something. Sometimes, you know, I'm watching a movie and I learn something. Sometimes just interacting with strangers, you can learn something. So I think seeing other people set boundaries can make you more courageous. What a benefit to have a boss with boundaries. What a benefit to have a coworker with boundaries. What a benefit to have a friend or partner. Um, I, I know that my husband for sure encourages me to have better boundaries because I see him do things effortlessly, like setting a boundary, like no. And I'm like, wow, you just said no to them? I never even thought, I didn't even know you could say no in that situation. <laughs> like, but I, I guess you can say no to anything you want to, right? Right. So yeah. just seeing people 
um, show boundaries is really, really helpful for you to have the courage to, to implement them in your life. I uh, was interviewing for a job that I did for a while managing a, a doctor's office. And it was just a really small office. It was the doctor and myself and managing it, no nurses or anything. So it was a fairly intimate relationship. We were together a lot. And, and when I was being interviewed for the position, one of the questions was, how are you with setting boundaries? Isn't that fascinating? This was about a year ago. And I was just like, I was just totally taken aback by the question. Like, can you set a healthy boundary? If And she would often, she was so respectful and it was such an interesting relationship, work relationship, because she would often say, please, if I ever ask you to do something you're not comfortable with, you must tell me if you feel like it's outside of your job or, or just not something you're comfortable doing for whatever reason. And that was so refreshing. And it's really changed the way I view my future work relationships and what's expected of me. You know, just having that one person to, to actually bring that up in a job interview, like, are you capable of setting healthy boundaries will you let me know if I've crossed one? Um, and she was pretty good about, you know, just stating what she's, and she's older and wise, wonderful, and would just kind of tell me, here's where I'm at. This is how I feel about this. This is where my boundary is. And it was so refreshing, I have to say. I ask a question that's sort of like that, um, but it's about self-care. When I'm interviewing therapists for my practice, one of our questions is, how do you practice self-care? Because that is a very important boundary for therapists to have because we are taking in so much. So how do you take care of yourself? So this being women's issues, women's voices, we often pitch things to how they affect women sort of uh, unevenly. And one thing I definitely wanted to ask you about this hour is it seems to me that, and I'm, I'm speaking to you from Midwestern Missouri. So uh, right in the middle of Missouri, I think women, especially Midwestern women, in our culture, find that they have a higher expectation of not saying no. I think they struggle more than maybe a woman who's raised on one of the coasts with that um, guilt, those guilty feelings you talk about where you feel like it's mean to say no and mm-hmm. you need to be a good girl and you need to get along and you need to, you know, just make nice and take whatever it is the person's trying to burden you with so that everyone's happy and you're not causing, you know, making any waves. I don't know if that comes from a religious underpinning. I'm not particularly religious and my family of origin is not particularly religious, but I definitely felt that pressure growing up to like be nice. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it seems to me that women struggle um, more than men in my experience. Would you agree with feeling uncomfortable setting boundaries or that it's somehow a reflection of, of them being a bad woman? Well, I certainly think there is more shaming around women setting boundaries. I don't always think it's self-imposed. I think, you know, for a lot of women, people will say things to you. I know when I became a mom, you thought the mom guilt was internal. Whoa, it's external. It's like, you don't want to pick. It's like, oh my gosh, like the people who are in this with me are not supportive of this thing. So sometimes it can be other women telling us, how we should be nice and be kind, even in situations where we are being abused and we are being mistreated. We do get the messaging of take more. You haven't taken enough, do more. Um, You know, I especially see that with women who struggle with practicing any type of self-care where they're getting the messaging from other, other women. Like you can't, 
you can't go to this exercise class and leave your kids. It's like, well, it's actually healthy for me to, you know, be able to get down on the ground and play with them. I have to be able to be flexible. So this yoga class is beneficial to everyone. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things that not only do we need to have the boundaries, but we have to be conscious of what we're saying to other people, because what we say could be a boundary violation, disrespecting someone's views or how they want to live their life. That's very important for us to be mindful of as women. But yes, we certainly struggle a bit more because society has not taught us how to have boundaries. They've actually taught us to to be boundaryless. You know, it's almost a bad thing for a woman to be executive somewhere because they're immediately labeled for being assertive. And they could be saying the exact same thing that a male counterpart would say, but it's like, oh my gosh, she's so aggressive. And it's like- Bossy, mouthy. Yeah, bossy, bossy. Loud. Yeah, loud. instead of saying, I think assertive is a positive word. Yeah, but aggressive is not. And it's so interesting that you bring that up. I've thought about this before, but not in this instance where women do police other women. We police each other's bodies and I try to really fight it, but it's ingrained. Mm -hmm. We we police each other, which is kind of sad, right? Because it's all in service to the culture, which is very masculine and male. And that's who benefits whenever women don't set boundaries, when women work longer than they're supposed to, when they take on 90% of the housework, well, who benefits from that? It's not the woman, it's <laughs> everyone else, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. we we certainly put it on other women to do it. You don't clean your own house. You don't you don't do your kid all of these things. Like even if your partner is doing it, it's like you don't do it. It's like you know this this immediate shaming. Yep. Um, I remember when I was in college, I had this one professor that I really liked, and she was very assertive woman. And I remember before I took um, my first class with her, I um, was talking to this guy about taking a class and he was like, oh no, don't take her class. She's mean, she's this, she's that. And we, you know, we both ended up in this one class because it was like a general education class. And he just, he thought she was so mean. And I said, I don't think she's mean, but I think his expectation of a female professor was for her to give him a pass if something was late, for her to over explain things, for her to have sympathy and, you know, kind of like pamper him through the class. No. (laughs) She had a boundary. She had boundaries. Like this is the assignment. You cannot turn it in late. It needs to, you know, it needs to look like this. And for that, she was labeled like aggressive. And it's like, she's being aggressive. I think she has it clearly outlined in her syllabus what the expectations are. And it's interesting that his expectations were different. And it would make me question if his mother wasn't that way. Yeah. His mother didn't sometimes give him a pass. And that's what he came to expect from female, strong female figures, that they would be empathetic and be more mothering and less, less like a boss and more like a mother. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I, I think she's being a teacher. She's giving yeah. us assignment and telling us to do it a certain way. And mm-hmm. I think that's it. She hasn't named called. She's not yelling. <laughs> I don't see the aggression here. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that, two, you know, two people could experience the same class so differently. So we've talked a little bit about boundaries and um, the need for them. In reading your book, 
you, you draw a lot of experiences from people who've come to your office and from your own personal experience. And it seems like you've come to recognize really almost, I would say, how much would you say 90% of the time when someone comes to you with a problem, any kind of a problem, like I can't get along with my mother-in-law, I, uh, I'm spending too much money and running up debt. The problem is almost always a boundary problem. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I sometimes think about this. Is it a boundary problem because I'm so into boundaries or, yeah, I think that that is the lens in which I view things because Mm -hmm. I really believe that, that talking about things can make things better. Mm -hmm. And I think so often I see us struggle with things that we have not tried to address with the person that we have the issue with. We do a lot of this person is doing this to me without telling the person we do a lot of things that we don't like to do. You know, really in the, in, in the therapeutic space, it causes a lot of mental health issues. It does, you know, play a part in anxiety and depression because we feel powerless in these relationships with other people and sometimes ourselves. If it's financial and we're the person running up our credit card, we do feel powerless. It's like, I can never get out of this debt. And it's like, okay, let's start with, you know, some limitations around your spending. Yeah. So uh, boundaries, if you think about it, and from what you just said, I mean, they're really a form of communication, mm-hmm. right? And a form of clear communication. I mean, a boundary communicates something about your values and something that's important to you for your own self-health. And you're communicating that to the other person. In a way, it's a, it's a gift. You could think of it that you're giving to the person in the relationship with you that this is what's going to help our relationship be healthy. Because you talk about that quite a bit, the worst outcome or the, maybe not the worst outcome, but the most um, extreme outcome from setting a boundary with someone is that the relationship ends. Mm -hmm. They can't accept the boundary. And you, you know, after working through it, you come to this decision that maybe, maybe this relationship is not a healthy relationship for me and it's time to cut bait. But I think you rightfully point out that if a person can't respect a reasonable boundary, and in your book, you kind of go through what questioning how, you know, is my boundary reasonable? And some questions you can ask yourself. Um, If a person can't respect a reasonable boundary that you've set, probably that's not a relationship that you need to be in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that you say, when you do set a boundary, you keep over and over throughout the book, you say, set the boundary, don't apologize, don't explain it. You don't have to give the whole backstory as to why you have this, why somebody has to take their shoes off when they come in the house. They don't need to hear about what happened the time someone didn't. It's just, it's, here's the expectation and I'm setting it. I'm not apologizing, which can be really hard. I would have to practice at that. Um, Don't apologize for setting the boundary and don't feel like you have to give the whole dissertation about how this boundary came to be. Just set it and forget it, right? Mm-hmm. not forget it exactly, set it and enforce it. Yeah, it certainly takes practice to not apologize because we apologize because we feel like we're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And that is not always the case or we feel like we're offending someone. Mm-hmm. To me, that's so female too, to be putting the other person's comfort first because clearly if you're setting a boundary, it's because there's an issue that's causing you discomfort in some way, shape or form. And you're having to set a boundary to remove that discomfort. So you're trying to respect yourself and your own needs. And it's so interesting that we feel bad about that. Mm -hmm. For having a need. Right. For having a need and stating it. I'm looking here. Here's these questions I was talking about. So here's this list that you've got. And it's, it's questioning when you have expectations of yourself and the questions you suggest someone could ask are, whose standard am I trying to meet? Mm -hmm. 
do I have the time to commit to this? What's the worst thing that could happen if I say no and don't do it? And how can I honor my own boundaries in this situation? And I thought that was a really nice little shorthand list. I almost need to put it on a note card in my wallet or on my mirror or something like questions to ask yourself when someone's asking you to do something or you find yourself trying to measure yourself against someone else's expectations or someone else, your, your perception of someone else's success. You know, whose standard am I trying to meet? Is it one that I hold for myself or one that I'm feeling projected on me from outside? I thought that was a really helpful list to kind of just check in, check in with yourself. And you talk about how people come visit you and they have chronic anxiety because they've worked themselves just into a ball of, of stress over trying to meet everyone else's expectations, everyone else's commitments and time being one that you say over and over, there's only 24 hours in a day. I can't make more time, but you can mm-hmm. manage how you manage the time, right? Yeah, I, I remember an interaction um, with a family member who we were all trying to get some takeout from somewhere. And this family member said, what do you want? What do you want? Well, you, they're asking everybody. So at the end of it, she had five different places. Oh, no. She was, she was like, well, I'm going to go. She, I mean, she was mapping this out. And I said, hey, you need to say one restaurant and have everyone some, grab something off that menu. You don't need to spend four hours driving to five places. Yep. Yeah. That and- is the prime example of people pleasing. Yeah. Like, it's like, I will put myself out, make myself uncomfortable, drive around. Now everybody's getting cold food, except for the last person who got their food. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. We're all going to the same place. If you don't want to eat pizza, eat air. You know, like, this is what we're, where we're going. Pick something. And exactly right. It's, it's serving no one because even if she did do that and drive all five places, you're right. The food would be cold and no one would enjoy it. And they'd be starving to death by the time she finally got back with all that food. If they're hungry now. Yeah, that's funny. Funny, not funny that someone would feel the need to, to do that. But I mean, I've known mothers like this or mothers who feel like they have to have every time their child comes home from college, produce this elaborate, their favorite meal, which might be really elaborate and require hours and hours and hours of preparation. And it's just, it's not a, a realistic standard to have to meet that they've set for themselves. Well, maybe my kids will always love what they love now, which is Trader Joe's chicken nuggets and frozen french fries. And I can certainly prepare that for them when they come home for college in 10 minutes. (laughs) With a variety of dipping sauces that come straight from the fridge. (laughs) Your favorite meal is here, girls. Yes, that's great. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Women's Issues, Women's Voices on KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. I'm your host tonight, Sarah Catlin, and my guest tonight is Nedra Tawab. We've been talking about her book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself. And it's important to note that Nedra is also popular on Instagram. So if you're an Insta person, you can follow her there. And she has a website. It's just her name, Nedra Tawab. That's T-A-W-W-A-B as in boy. And her website is lovely. Your website is lovely. It's got all sorts of resources. You've got some quizzes folks can take. Um, You've got resource guides. It's really wonderful. Did you want to say a word or two about your, your website and how you envision people using that? Yeah. So I hope that people can go there and get a few tools free to exercise in their lives. But that's one of the boundaries that you suggest for people, right? If you do something professionally, don't do it for free. And so I want to thank you for spending this hour with us because you're offering your 
invaluable services um, for free to our listeners. And so I wanted to make sure and thank you for that and recognize that gift that you're giving us because this is something that you normally do in your life and charge money for. And uh, it's really lovely of you to be willing to share both the content of your book and your website, which is open to anybody who has access to the internet from their phone or anything else and your, your gifts and your um, insights. I think are just really lovely. And it's wonderful that you're willing to share your Instagram posts and things um, free of charge to people who can have access to those. It's so nice. Welcome. Should we talk a little bit, as I mentioned at the top of the hour about social media? I think social media prior to um, four years ago, I wasn't a big social media user. I did not have Facebook. I heard you say you have Facebook. Um, Right now, my Instagram is connected to Facebook. And that's the only reason I have it because it kind of auto flows through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I I wasn't a big user personally of social media because I'd heard so many horror stories from people. And what I didn't take the time to consider is that it is a tool and it is also something that we manage and it can be a healthy tool just as, you know, it's it's like cell phones aren't terrible, but, you know, we have to have boundaries with the cell phone. We have to have boundaries with the internet. We have to have boundaries with social media. And that's the really big piece of it that we have to sort of come up with this protocol and, you know, tell social media how it fits into our lives. And, you know, it's true that there are things set up to kind of get our attention on social media, to make us want to post, to make us want to be in that space. But we have to take the time to figure out how we want it to be a part of our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in your book, you've got two helpful lists in your section on social media and technology. You've got one list of where you're talking about things you're reminded of when you talk about social media. I won't read the whole list, but things like there's always someone out there whose standards you weren't meeting. Mm -hmm. Is that not true? But especially on social media. Let's see. You can't please everyone because everyone's needs are different. That's just a couple of those. And then on the next page, you talk about some signs that you might need some boundaries. And I could hear this one. Do you remember Jeff Foxworthy, the, the redneck comedian? And he'd say, you know, you might be a redneck if I could sort of hear this. I have heard this list in his voice. You might need some social media boundaries if in social settings, you're glued to your phone instead of actually socializing. That would be one of your clues or you use your phone while driving. And you're right. It is so addictive. First of all, we've got teams of people studying human behavior and their job is to get you to engage with the social media. It's a moneymaker. They want your eyeballs on the content because they're paid by the number of eyeballs that are on the content that they're creating. So your phone is going to ding and bing and blink and and use whatever color has been proven in studies to be the color that's going to get you to notice that post, right? So it's a pretty big demon that you're fighting when you're trying to control that social media usage, unless you just cut it off entirely. So it can be, I think, really difficult for people to find a healthy balance because they're fighting against everything that that machine, that social media machine is designed to do, which is to hook them, right? Yeah. And I, and I think one way to cheat that system is to remove the phone. Lots of times when I'm at home, I will just put the phone on the charger, like upstairs or something. So it's like out of reach. Even, you know, when I use my iPad, I will, I don't have social media on my iPad. So I'm literally using my iPad for Pinterest or for um, writing or whatever thing I'm using it for. So I'm not on um, like Instagram or Facebook or those sort of things. So I think sometimes we have to trick ourselves mm-hmm. <laughs> into finding what works in terms of not using it. When I'm writing, sometimes I have to turn my phone off. 
because it's, you know, even the notifications of other, the weather, the, oh, it's the, you know, so-and-so celebrity just broke up. Like all of these things that are constantly coming at us, we have to figure out a system to make um, this device that we're not going to get rid of work Mm -hmm. in our life. Yeah, maybe maybe even taking the time to like DoorDash keeps sending me these stupid notifications and I've just been lazy, but I need to go into the DoorDash app, which is like the food delivery thing and figure out how do I turn off these push notifications? It's mm-hmm. maybe, an, aren't you hungry? Now would be a great time to order us. And it's like, I don't need to see that. So maybe even just taking the time when you have a new app on your phone that you really need just to turn off those notifications. So there are fewer of those dings and bangs and blinks that to pull away your attention from what you're trying to be doing. Yeah. And I love the do not disturb feature. It's like my favorite with one button. You could be like, don't make any noise at me until tomorrow morning. Click. It's like the best feature of my cell phone. It's my favorite. Feature. Yeah. And you can even, you know, if you're a parent or an adult of with aging parents who you worry about, you can have certain phone numbers that will still ring through, like emergency numbers where they can always ring through, even if it's on Do Not Disturb. So it's not you're completely unavailable. If you take the time to set it up the way you want to set it up with your boundaries, right, you can really block out a lot of that nasty stuff. As a therapist, what's your take on social media? Because you're right. I mean, I think it can be it can be a really a negative influence, especially on maybe developing young people. And I, as a parent of children who are getting older, I worry about that. They're going to start to be interacting on like TikTok and all these things. And gosh, you know, that's like a whole thing to try to navigate for them to make sure that they're not being bullied or shamed. And you don't see all that stuff as a parent, you know, it's hard to know what they're doing online. Do you have kind of a read on social media as and how it relates to, in general, like people's well-being. Do you think overall it's a negative influence? Do you think it can be a positive in someone's life to have access to all those different ways of connecting with people? I think, you know, I think about my childhood and we all had something. When I was a teenager, we had like talk lines. I don't know that one. Like you call these numbers and it's these group things. Like, remember, like, you know, there is something that will exist for every generation. And do we shut those things down? No. But how do we teach people how to use them in a useful way? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure when TVs first came out, the concern was, oh my gosh, people are going to be, you know, and it's like, we have to figure out useful ways to use these new things. So with social media, I think it's important that we curate our feeds and we create the experience that we want. All of the people who make us feel like we're missing out on life and we need to buy this and we need to do whatever, you don't have to follow those people. You can you can unfollow them, you can mute them, you can block yourself. So when you go to their page, you can't even see anything. There are so many controls for you to be able to use it in a way that, that better works for you. And I think sometimes we have the feelings around it without really thinking about what the boundary could be. And sometimes it's people we know that we follow. And in those cases, again, I think the, you know, the most useful thing sometimes is to mute them, maybe not block them or that sort of thing, but to mute them. So you're not seeing, you know, even some political content or some mm-hmm. content that is just bothersome to you. So just being conscious of your energy as you're scrolling, as you are, you know, looking through different apps, even if it's TikTok. Tick, I don't have TikTok, but 
I've used other folks' phone to kind of flip through their TikTok. And it is entertaining. It is entertaining. It's like from one video to the next, it is, you know, it's entertaining. And so you have to think about how much time do I want to spend on here? What sort of things do I want to look at? I happen to enjoy lots of videos about people deep cleaning things with these like, um, like pressure washers. And they're I'm like, oh, this is it's just- very- satisfying watch oh my gosh oh my yeah it's so good or people I like these little quick cooking demonstrations that people do it's like a little 30 second they just snap and something is uh, they'll do a snap the thing is like already cut in the bowl you don't have to watch them cut it yeah yeah you know I I think I think is is that bad for me absolutely not that's not bad for me. Can I do it all day? Absolutely not. <laughs> and so there are times when I can and times when I can't, but I'm not busy all the time. There are certainly times where I can, you know, afford to be on social media and not miss out on anything in my personal life. So I hear you saying two things there, really two overarching umbrellas. One is time management, right? You quoted pretty women in your book and it's a, it's a quote that I love too. I say when I say who I say when, yeah. So you're lot, you're the boss of you and you can set limits for yourself as to how long you're going to sit and go down some rabbit hole, maybe even set an alarm on your phone so that after 15 minutes, it pulls you out of that, whatever, you know, yeah, yeah, you've gotten into. So partly about time management and partly about diet, you choose what when and you choose what to eat, you choose what to view, you choose the influences that you're allowing into your brain, right? And whether those are positive and uplifting or energizing in a way, or if those are the kind that make you feel bad or like you're not enough and to maybe just be cognizant of how you're feeling as you're watching that stuff and the stuff that's making you feel like you're not enough. Maybe think about cutting that out of your diet. Yeah, I used to love the show Forensic Files in college and I realized I am so afraid to go to sleep at night (laughs) after watching this show while living alone. I had to cut it out. It's a great TV show, but it's it's just creepy to watch and then sleep in the bed by yourself. It wasn't a good experience. So I had to set the boundary of giving up the show. I mean, I liked it, but it just wasn't good energetically. Mm -hmm. No, I hear you. So I want to plug your book one more time. The title of your book is Set Boundaries, Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself. There is so much more in this book that we have not had time to touch on this hour. So um, anybody who's had their interest piqued by what we've talked about um, should definitely go seek out a copy for themselves at their local, hopefully independent bookstore. But if you have to go to one of the major online people, do it. There's at the end of every chapter, you've got little like journaling kind of exercises that someone could do to help them kind of reflect, kind of, kind of like having a therapist in a box, right? This is like, well, not a little, like a big therapy session with you, but for the, for like 1795, they get, you know, the whole thing. And And there's journaling exercises. There's some little quizzes in the back. There's a resource guide at the very back. So many um, helpful references and lists of ways to check in with what's going on with you. I just can't recommend it enough. Anybody who's who's interested in what we're talking about and is thinking, maybe maybe I could use some help uh, setting some boundaries. Hopefully that would give you um, a good place to start. Is there anything else you want to leave us with? We also want to mention your website one more time, which is just nedratawab.com. They can find that. Uh, if they even get close spelling that on Google, it'll find it. You can even spell yeah. it and it'll get you there. Any closing thoughts that you would like to, to leave us with here in the last few minutes of the hour? Yeah, I just want people to remember that they already have some boundaries. And if they're struggling on any level, 
that it's just a matter of fine tuning certain areas. And this boundary book is a great help for that. All this talk of boundaries uh, brought to mind a, a poem that I studied in one of my college literature classes, and it's by Robert Frost, and it's called Mending Wall, and, and I thought I would just take a minute to share it. So here it is, Mending Wall by Robert Frost. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen groundswell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun and makes gaps even two can pass abreast. The work of hunters is another thing. I've come after them and made repair where they've left not one stone on a stone, but they would have the rabbit out of hiding to please the yelping dogs. The gaps, I mean, no one has seen them made or heard them made, but at spring mending time, we find them there. I let my neighbor know beyond the hill, and on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. We keep the wall as we go, to each the boulders that have fallen to each. And some are loaves, and some so nearly balls, we have to use a spell to make them balance. Stay where you are until our backs are turned. We wear our fingers rough with handling them. Oh, just another kind of outdoor game, one on a side. It comes to little more. There where it is, we do not need the wall. He is all pine and I am apple orchard. My apple trees will never get across and eat the cones under his pines, I tell him. He only says, good fences make good neighbors. Spring is the mischief in me and I wonder if I could put a notion in his head, why do they make good neighbors? Isn't it where there are cows? But here there are no cows. Before I built a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out and to whom I was like to give offense. Something there is that doesn't love a wall that wants it down. I could say elves to him, but it's not elves exactly. And I'd rather he said it for himself. I see him there bringing a stone grasped firmly by the top in each hand, like an old stone savage armed. He moves in darkness, as it seems to me, not of woods only and the shade of trees. He will not go behind his father's saying, and he likes having the thought of it so well, he says again, good fences make good neighbors. And with that thought, I would say good boundaries make good relationships. Again, our guest this hour has been Nedra Tawab. Her book is called Set Boundaries, Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself. Um, you can also glean some of her wisdom for free on the internet at www.nedratawab.com. Thanks for listening to Women's Issues, Women's Voices. I've been your host, Sarah Catlin, and we will look forward to having another really scintillating discussion next Friday night at seven o'clock. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.